Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels in 66ers baseball. This is Joe Adele here with the Los Angeles Angels. I'm Jr. You're listening to the Old Angels Podcast. Hey, what is up? It is your boy Johnny Max. joined as always with... Dan Garcia. We're back for another edition of the All Angels Podcast. Uh, this week we have the honor of having a, a friend of the show uh, back on the show. Yeah, he's on I'm, all the time. Like we mentioned in the interview, we might have to actually put add him it, add on his name. featuring. How about I say if he's, he's on more than Chris? I, I, I was going to say we should give him his own segment, right? But like, if you guys seen our logo on our on our uh, uh, iTunes or whatever, however you subscribe, you know, obviously you see both our names on yeah. it. We might have to put like a ret on the bottom <laughs> part of the the bottom middle and have him on there. But yeah, so obviously, yeah, uh, Red Bollinger from MLB.com, beat writer of the Angels, is joining us uh, talking about. We're gonna finish up the All Angels team and we are gonna talk about this season again. So right. um, here's the interview. Hope you enjoy it. And we're joined with Angels uh, MLB.com reporter Rhett Bollinger. Rhett, thanks for coming on again, man. No problem. Always fun to come on. Pretty soon we're going to have to uh, keep on coming on. We're going to have to add you to the uh, podcast title. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Featuring Rhett Bollinger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anytime, though. It's obviously always fun. So obviously what we want to start off is we want to finish your uh, all-angel team. We started with the position players and then – we let the run go where you had the pitchers and the manager and general manager. So we're going to finish that first before we get into the season preview again. And so I want to start with your right-handed starters. I think it was pretty obvious, and I think Johnny will back me up with this, that Nolan Ryan was your number one, followed by number two, Jared Weaver, number three, Mike Witt. And again, you can always go on angels.com and look up the entire list. But, you know, the Twitter poll was a, a, a runaway. Was it that much of a runaway for you also? Um, I mean, it's hard not to go with, you know, Nolan Ryan with what he did, especially with the strikeout record he had with the Angels. The way he struck out, what, in one season, 383 guys. It's pretty insane. So, uh, you know, as a great pitcher for the Angels, it seems like obviously had a long career in general. So, you know, he, he obviously had a big impact to other clubs as well. Um, but to me, that was a pretty easy one. Um, you know, Jared Weaver obviously I think had an underrated career. I think some fans, especially on Twitter, kept saying, oh, but he was so bad late. But just because he had a bad, you know, couple years at the very end with his Angels career, um, when he lost his velocity, he still was, I think, really underrated for a long time and was one of the best pitchers in the league for a couple of years running there. So I thought that made a lot of sense. And Mike Witt, a guy that's, uh, you know, obviously in the Angels 
Hall of Fame, a guy that, you know, threw a perfect game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those definitely were the guys up there for me. And, you know, obviously Lackey had a good career with, with the Angels, and, you know, you can't discount that Game 7 start. But to me, Nolan Ryan, just the way he did the strikeouts especially, uh, made him, uh, you know, the, the, the pick for me for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I looked at the list, and, and obviously we've done these lists on our own. Daniel and I did, like, you know, we, we, we've done these teams before on our own. But it's it's kind of hard not to to look at that list and go, yeah, Nolan Ryan stands out more than anybody on that list. And obviously he'd be number one. Um, number two for me was always right-handed pitching anyway. It was always going to be Jerry Weaver. And in number three, that's when it gets iffy, like, you know – it, you look at that list of Angels pitchers, you look at the all-time Angels team or all-time, you know, all the the roster in general. And, and you know, Mike Witt, it, when you look at his stats as an Angel, like, it's deceiving. I guess you, you look at, man, he was there for a really long time, and he put up some pretty decent numbers there in, the, in like, the mid-'80s, like 86. I think he won, like, 18 games or something on that Western Division championship team. So I can't argue with that list, that right-handed list, but – who was uh, the one that didn't make the top three that you were like, okay, this guy was very close, if there was one? Yeah, I think Lackey definitely was in that running for sure. Uh, I think because he was there for you know, a decent amount of time and was, was obviously a really good starter for the team, uh, was an all-star and all that. Uh, you know, uh, After that, I mean, Dean Chance, I think overall, he didn't pitch there for very long, but he was definitely like a, an ace for all the time he was there. So definitely kind of factored in, in him. But, yeah, those are probably the two guys are kind of considered. After that, it kind of dropped off a little bit. I know Andy Messerschmitt has the best ERA in team history, but same thing. It's like that was, you know, the thing where he didn't pitch for very long for the for the club. So, And, you know, and Bartolo Colon won the Cy Young, but Big that's really his only good season. So, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I was going to say that, too. I noticed that in your honorable mention, you had a Bartolo Colon. I was like, all right, a little love for the for the guy that's shaped a little bit more like me. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't discount winning a Cy Young, right? And that's definitely an achievement for sure. So hard not to leave to take him off there. But at the same time, I just said his other seasons for the club really weren't as good. I didn't realize how, you know, how down they were otherwise. Yeah, he had that, was it 2005 when he won the Cy Young? I think he won like 21 games. and yeah exactly yeah so you, you you almost have to like say well i mean you know i think he had what he was there with like four or five years maybe and that was probably his yeah i think definitely. Only three though i think it was there for as long as i thought yeah i think it was only like three years okay. as long as i thought yeah so then moving over to your left-handed starters again and same thing with the nolan ryan with the righties chuck finley ran away with the twitter vote um that you put on your your at red bollinger on twitter um Again, I'm asking question. Did he run away with it in your eyes also? Yeah, he did. I think so. I mean, he was a guy that led all Angels pitchers in, like, you know, pitching war and all that, according to baseball reference. And same thing, a guy that was there for a long time. Um, you know, I think he's definitely the, probably just the best. I think he'd probably put him as the best pitcher in Angels history, even ahead of, of Nolan Ryan, just because of the consistency and the longevity. Um, you know what I mean? He has the most wins in, in team history. Not that team wins are as important, but back then a little bit more important than nowadays, I think, because guys did pitch longer back then um so yeah i think that he was definitely the guy and but there's actually some pretty good lefties you know frank tanana uh was an underrated really good lefty for the angels you know he went on to have a longer career after that with the tigers and uh you know uh, mark langston you know we know him pretty well from the broadcast uh even to this day and you know for, good thing is he's doing well health-wise after last year's scare so he was up there you know jared washburn same thing you know as part of that world series team so there were some pretty good lefties to consider but i do think that this one was definitely an easy one Oh yeah, Chuck Finley 
stands out above the rest. I mean, if you're an Angels fan, especially growing up like I was in the, you know, early to mid or more mid to late 90s or late 80s, mid 90s, whatever. Um, Chuck you're Finley. Old. Yeah. Chuck Finley um, was that guy who like would represent the team in the All-Star game, you know, uh he he was a guy that consistently put up like more than fifteen wins every year. Like you know, he was the ace of the staff. He was a horse and had a nasty fork ball. I remember that. And uh, yeah, I mean, all time Angels, you know, leader in wins for as a pitcher. Yeah, definitely Chuck Finley. And you know, kind of piggybacking off your list again, you had Chuck Finley one, Frank Tanadin two, Mark Langston three. Was Frank Tanadin did he surprise you at all? Because again, coming from a certain age and just not really hearing that name a whole lot growing up did what he did with the angels surprise you yeah i mean his era was like super low his era was like you no know, low threes in his career with the angels his strikeout rates are really high especially for the time period he pitched i knew enough about him you know i had heard about him obviously and but i did think right kind of researching this i didn't realize how good he was and it's funny even joe madden they had him in camp as a special instructor and Joe Madden was even saying, you guys should look up the stats because he was way better than you guys think or realize. I do think we're guilty of that. You know, I think that's why this was a fun project for me because it was a way to kind of look back at a lot of guys from the 60s and 70s and 80s that maybe I didn't know enough about because, you know, same thing. I didn't start really following baseball until, uh, being generous, like 93 probably. It was probably the first right, year I was seven yeah. years old probably when I started really getting into it right before the strike. Um, so my, most of my stuff, you know, baseball memories are all in the 90s. Um, so I certainly remember most of those guys, but I just after the, you know those earlier guys, sometimes it's hard to know that stuff. But it was fun to research it and find out. You're right, though. I mean, yeah, I think the fans definitely could look back and look at Tanana and uh, and realize that you know this guy was was really good. I think I looked it up as the fourth best ERA in team history. Um, uh, so among starters for the club, so yeah, I mean he was a really hard thrower. Ended up getting hurt, kind of losing some of that velocity late in his career. But um, among their draft picks, I think first rounders. You can even make a case that he's one of their best first-round picks of all time, too, just because of what he did and what he did even after he left the, the team. Yeah, to Nana and Ryan and two days of crying. So you can't <laughs> yeah, leave, exactly. Yeah, you can't leave him off, off that list. One guy that, that, that stood out to me was, um, when you think about left-handed pitchers, in the, when I was growing up, you know, you had, the, the staff had three lefties, and it was Finley, Langston, and then Jim Abbott. And I catch heat for this. Um, I love the Jim Abbott story. I appreciate everything he's done, but I don't see him. You know, when I talk to a lot of Angel fans, they, they when they talk, it, I don't know. I, I I hate to quote unquote talk smack, but um, they talk a lot of Angel fans talk about Chuck Finley or uh, Jim Abbott, Abbott being one of the best Angels left-handers ever, and I have to always beg to differ. I mean, I look at stats, and um, his stats weren't weren't very good. Uh, he had maybe one really good season maybe two but nothing that stood out wasn't you know overpowering but again i always appreciate what he did i love the story jim abbott's one of my favorite guys ever but when you look at sat wise i don't think you could put him you know on the, that top level of a, like a chuck finley or mark langston as an angels like, what, what do you where do you stand on jim abbott yeah I, I wouldn't put him in that kind of category either but i do think he was a good pitcher i think for those first couple of years there it was pretty amazing. He skipped the minor leagues and, you know, got right in there and, uh, you know, was a pitcher, a good pitcher right away. And I, I think his best season came, I think it was like his third year, 91. He was up there for the Cy Young, the top three, I believe. So he was, you know, he was a good pitcher early on. I mean, uh, I think the hard part, too, with him is that his overall numbers, too, were really hurt by the fact that when he came back, 
his last season with the club or whatever was remember it was really really bad. I remember like everybody that as a fan of the kid, I don't even know the Angels, just the baseball. Because he was always a cool story to follow, just because of the you know hitter he threw with you know the Yankees and everything else. I remember, remember when he came back to the Angels, he was like really bad. I think he went like two and eighteen or something like that. So I think that probably hurts his stats. But I do think that his peak though was still higher than a lot of the other lefties in team history. So I mean, I think there's some guys that did some stuff maybe over a longer course, but he did have a pretty high peak, and I think that um, it just hurts his, his numbers just get up by the fact that he was really that last stint. He I think at the end of it there and really kind of hurt his overall numbers for sure. So now moving on into the bullpen, you went just relief pitchers. You didn't really break it up by closers or setups or anything like that. So relief pitchers, you have Troy Percival, number one, Francisco Rodriguez, number two, and Scott Shields, three. Um, how close was one and two? It was really close. Some people definitely, I think on Twitter, I think uh, people had the other way maybe. I, I figured if they had Frankie ahead of him, and I think people, it was a tough one because, you know, Frankie, same thing, when he was really, really, really at his peak, I think he was better. But I think Percival also gets underrated. If you look back at his numbers, he really was incredible, too. And his strikeout numbers were awesome. And the fact, too, that he was the closer for longer, you know, racked up more saves, and, and also was the closer of the World Series winning team, I think definitely factors into it, too. I mean, obviously, Frankie was a big part of that, uh, you know, that playoff run and set the record for most wins in a postseason and, you know, set the record for the most saves ever in a season. I remember covering that team in 08. I was an intern covering the Angels for MLB.com when Frankie broke the record and saved, what, 62 games that year. So I think Frankie at his peak um, was was pretty hard to beat. But I do think that Percival's longevity and just how many saves and strikeouts he racked up over his career made him the choice. But I would say it was close um, for sure. But I, I did give the edge to Percival, and I, I still would. I agree with you 100% on that one. I mean, Troy Percival, when you think of Angels closers, I I think that's the first guy you think of, honestly, more than Frankie, just because I think the personality that Percival had, I think that rugged, crazy, drank <laughs> eight cups of coffee, you know, I, that always sticks out to me, the, the glare, the stare in, you know, I'm supposed to be wearing glasses, but I'm not. <laughs> you know, throwing at that time, you know, a guy that threw 93 to 95, 96 was, you know, by today's standards, you know, throwing a hundred like a roll this Chapman. So, and then yeah, you know, being the the guy that you know saved every game of that or every yeah, I think every win of that postseason yeah. or that World Series he he saved. So, uh, it stands out to me. I think the, the one thing with Frankie with me was, um, Frankie was always very scary to me when he came in to close games. Not that Percival wasn't because yeah. Percival would get himself I, in situations. Yeah, I that for sure. Yeah, Frankie would scare me like no other. Like, there'd be guys on base left and right, and somehow he'd find his way out of it, which is exactly. amazing in its own way. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was also at that game when he broke uh, Bobby Thigpen, I think's record. Uh, okay, yeah, exactly, yeah, from the, from yeah. the White Sox. Yeah, I think it's yeah. seven, right? Yeah, I was at that game as well, so... Um, yeah, it was a Saturday night, I remember that, too. They yeah, were wearing um, alternate hats, I think. It was like uh, Memorial Day, yeah. Labor Day, or something like that. Yeah, I remember that. Johnny yeah, it was a weekend. It was definitely in, the, yeah, in September. It ever being a weekend. It being a yeah. Saturday. Cause I remember USC playing that same day. Yeah. But I do remember that, too. So that's the position players, you know, from um, offensive position players to your pitchers. Um, we have the manager and GM, but before we get to those two, what position do you think you got the most – feedback on through social media where they disagreed with you or they felt like it should have been a different way? Well, that's a good one, I guess. Um, definitely not center field. I think that one. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty safe. We got that one covered. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I guess that's – I think that catcher, I think uh, – I went with Bob Boone. I think it was probably the one that probably was uh, the most against the green. I went with Bob Boone because of his defense. 
I think that just because same thing, I think that many Angel fans probably know that much about Bob Boone because he wasn't as good of a hitter. Um, and the fact that you know, you know, Molina, Benji Molina was you know was a pretty solid hitter too and a great catcher. I think and also more recent, you know, was on the World Series winning team. I think more fans just like, overwhelmingly voted for him. But I think for me, if you look at the defensive numbers and what and all the Gold Gloves and everything that Bob Boone won and just being that first defensive stalwart of, of, the, of the organization and Connell is, you know, great pitchers back then. I think that I gave him the nod, but I think just on social media, for sure, I think that's probably the one that got the most feedback for, for sure. So now moving on to your manager, and unlike your position players or your pitchers, you only had one selection. I think obviously it was the runaway selection. That was Mike Sosha, 19 years, um, Angel Skipper, obviously 2002 World Series champion. But if there was a second place uh, manager, where or what's who is that second place manager? Probably maybe Fergosi, just because he did lead them to their first division title, you know, back uh, in the seventies. I think it went in seventy nine. So, um, so yeah, I was say Fergosi, but he also said he wasn't there for very long. Right. Um, so that's the thing is they didn't have even the guys who led them to the playoffs. It seemed like just weren't there for very long. Didn't have as much longevity. They kind of cycled through a lot of managers throughout their history, and then finally. It seemed like they got to Sosha, and it was the one guy who stuck around for you know a really long time. Um, so to me, that was kind of the thing. I could have done a little, you know, list. That's kind of we're given the option at MLB.com if we wanted to do a top five, a top three, or add to it. But to me, it just wouldn't even be fair to Sosha to compare him to anybody, just because I mean, you add up all the things he did, and like every other manager in French history can't even add up to what he did. You know, pretty much them combined doesn't add up to him by himself. So to me, that was definitely the easy one for sure. Yeah, that's almost as easy as center field because, because you know, yeah, you think about Angels managers and there's only a few that stand out to me, obviously, you know, that you can you can look at and say, well, he did a really good job. And, you know, Bill Rigney, the original manager, doing what he mm-hmm. did with the expansion team. And then and then after Rigney, I, I don't think you find anybody till Fergosi because they circled through, they went through managers like crazy, but Dick Williams and, I, I mean, mm-hmm. the list goes on and on. Doug Rader, Buck Williams, or Buck uh, Rogers, oh, Terry Collins, all these guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think the list is it's long, but not very, not not much not to deep. choose from. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that one. There's no no disagreement on this end. Do you think, you know, obviously the managerial position has changed from when Sosha first started with the Angels till now. But do you think he is a Hall of Fame manager at some point? I would think so, dude, for that long and that much longevity. I mean, so at the time, he was, what, the longest tenured manager in baseball at the time and the only one in recent history in any sport was, like, Greg Popovich with the Spurs. So to be at one place for that long and, and to win a World Series, too, and, and to win all his division titles, I said it wasn't as good the last few years there. But um, I think he certainly got a chance. I mean, I do. I know that even Artie Moreno believes that. And so that even when, you know, everything happened and, and uh, you know, kind of be such a step down and everything else, even then, no matter if there's hard feelings involved with anything, um, I do think that, that, you know, already believes that, and I think the Angels do too, and I, do, I think that it would be hard to keep them out in some ways, but, you know, because I think we've seen other guys that have only won, you know, one World Series title, like Bobby Cox, get in. Um, so, uh, you know, it's hard to know for sure because the standards for Hall of Fame managers, you know, can be a little bit different, a little bit interesting. It's obviously not voted on by the writers or anything, but um, I certainly think you can get a chance. Do you think he manages again, or do you think the time off between when he stepped down with the Angels to now is just kind of he's he's retired, he's good where he's at, and you probably don't see him in a, in a dugout anytime soon? My guess is probably he's not going to manage again. Same thing, just because it has been a little bit of time now. Uh, we'll see what teams kind of do this off season. I don't really know 
how many teams are going to change their managers because I don't know if they're really going to fire a guy based on how he does in a 60-game season. I don't know if there'll be less turnover going into next year and all that, too. I don't know if that's going to be part of it just with the weird season coming up. Um, so uh, my guess is, at least for now, unless I'd be surprised, but you never know. I mean, I thought the same thing happened with Ron Gardner. I was obviously in Minnesota for a long time, and, and Gardner got a second job, you know, managing the, the Tigers now. It's just kind of a matter, too, if Sochi would want to take a job like that, that he'd be, he'd be more likely to get a win-now type of job. And I just don't know, um, you know, if that's going to happen, especially with the teams nowadays, a little bit more analytical. So now, obviously, the last position you have on your list is GM. Um, you pick Bill Stolman, GM, 99 to 07. Same question. If you had to pick a second-place GM, who was in your writing? It was kind of the same thing. It was tough for Stolman. You know, was the only one leading to a World Series title. I mean, I think, what, Buzzy Bavassi, Bavassi you know, he, uh, he built a team that, you know, at least made that first playoff run. Um, you know, Mike Port was the GM, I think, when they were in the late 80s and had a pretty good run there, too, and it were a pretty good team. Um, so, because the 90s, obviously, were a, kind of a time where they built up, you know, some of the farm system for the late 90s to kind of make that run. But a lot of that kind of started, you know, I feel like Stoneman did. And Bill Pavese, obviously, his son did some of those moves, too, leading up to it. But I think Stoneman was definitely the guy just with some of the moves he made leading up to 2002 that really kind of built that core. And then the fact that, too, I think that even if he was always kind of a guy that didn't like to make many trades, was kind of looked at as a conservative GM, um, he at least, you know, built up that farm system pretty good where you're able to kind of build the sustainable winner. You know, and I covered Tony Regan's. You know, they had some division winners there, too. But same thing, he made a couple of trades that definitely set the franchise back. Um, so, but also at the same time, he did sign, I think Regan's did sign Tory Hunter. He did make the trade for Deshera. Um, so there were some good moves he made, but I think that some of the ones just kind of uh, were outweighed by the bad moves he made. And I think that Stoneman, that was the one thing that Stoneman didn't really make any bad moves because he didn't make any trades anyway. So it was hard to give him, it was mostly good stuff that he did and it wasn't as many things to, to I guess, hate on him for, for, for some of the moves that he did. Yeah, I think general manager is just such, it's such a hard job. And um, my, I have a, my cousin always, when I, when I mentioned Tony Regan's to him, he just can't stand the the this, this the name Tony Regans. He just gets so mad. He gets so upset. And he tells me Gary Matthews Jr. Bro, so <laughs> you know I'm like yeah I, yeah I know we signed him because of the catch and uh, but um, yeah Bill Stoneman. I mean yeah I mean I, I can't. There's just no runaway. I guess you know yeah for sure. So again, that is Rhett's. All Angels team. Again, you can go back and listen to the podcast when we had them on the first time and, and listen to um, the position players. We did the pitchers, but you can also go back on uh, angels.com. And again, he, he lists the top five, gives a little summary of why he picked the top five and even threw in some honorable mentions at different positions. So um, we're going to take a break real quick. And then when we come back, we will start, um, I guess it'd be take two on the season preview of the 2020 Angels season. So we'll be right back after this. And we are back. We want to thank our sponsors again for sponsoring our show. You can just you know click on or uh, check out the links that we that we will post on Halo underscore Haven on Instagram and on Twitter from time to time. Um, want to quickly shout out at Archangel Pins too for their pins. Uh, they have a bunch of cool pins out there. Go on Archangel Pins on Instagram. Check them out. Get yourself some swag because the season's about to start and you want to look good at home. Now, maybe not at the stadium, but at home you want to look good. You want to sport a pin, do that. But anyway, we're back with Rhett Bollinger. Uh, we're, we want to get into, like Daniel mentioned before the break, 
part two of our season two, preview yeah. because yeah. obviously we had the last the last time we sat down and interviewed Rhett, uh, Daniel, and I both. We were in Tempe, Arizona, talking about the upcoming season. But you know, fast forward now to almost August and uh, part two. So, Dan. Yeah, so we, we put out emails to our listeners, and you can always email us at allangelspodcast at gmail.com and try to get some of the guys' uh, questions out there. So Edward Viscaino um, emailed in and says, Hi, Johnny and Daniel. I have, uh, have to pinch myself. Uh, we are actually talking about baseball. I have a question for Rhett. Uh, what do you see from Canning and Otani? Are there any con- uh, anything that has concerned you at all? Yeah, so far so good with those two. I've seen them pitch at Angel Stadium so far during the inter-squad games. Um, you know, Otani obviously so far has been wild um, with his pitching. I think that the first one was pretty obvious, and I think he was throwing the ball outside a lot. He was yanking his pitches. I think after the fact, Callaway said that he felt like Otani was just afraid to throw inside because he was facing his own, you know, teammates and didn't want to hit anybody. He was better the second time because they had him face kind of the backup guys. Maybe he didn't care if he hit him or not, but no, but he uh, <laughs> but he was definitely better. His stuff looked crisper. Um, we'll see how he does. He's pitching on Sunday uh, in his last kind of uh, inter-squad start, and then it sure seems like he's going to start now. His day to start is going to be Sunday. It sure seems like. Um, and, and hitting wise, you know, he hit the home run. He's been he's been fine offensively. Um, they're not too worried about him getting enough reps there. It's just about him getting comfortable on the mound and, and back to pitching. Um, but I think that he'll he'll be fine with both of those right now. Um, with the talent he has, and and so far Griffin Canning, same thing. He's been he's been really good. I think he's been in a good spot now for for several months. Truthfully, I think he got lucky that not I don't know lucky but fortunate that it got pushed back because he would have been off to the injured list to start the year. But the fact that they pushed it back, you know, a few months here, four months, uh, he's healthy now. And you know that PRP shot in his elbow worked great. I saw him pitch in person. He looked really really good. Getting a lot of strikeouts. Um, he's definitely going to be you know a, you know a big key for this rotation if he can kind of build on last year um, because I do like his stuff a lot. You know, he can definitely strike guys out. So the good news is both those guys are healthy. And obviously if it would have been, you know, the regular full season, we probably wouldn't have seen those guys pitching probably till mid-May. So it's kind of nice that, you know, obviously at this point they're both healthy and ready to go here as we start the season in a little bit over a week. Uh, stupid question, maybe, but I, I have to ask. Otani, how, how much is it that, he's coming back from Tommy John, like his struggles early or his lack of location. How much is it that dude hasn't pitched since 2018? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely a thing for sure. And I think a lot of guys we've seen in the past with Tommy John, that first year they come back as a pitcher, it's always a little bit more erratic and always a little bit more wild because you're kind of getting used to just being on the mound and just, and sometimes even just like things just kind of feel different, but you kind of get used to it because you've had surgery on your elbow. Um, but most guys get over that hump. It just sometimes takes a little time. But Tommy, though, is, you know, at this point, at least the good news is he's pretty far removed from it now. If you take off the extra time, and part of it was because he had the knee surgery, too, though, which also kind of set it back just less throwing in general. But, yeah, you're right. I do think just getting back on that mound um, and just kind of getting those kinks out just because the fact that, you know, you're someone that hasn't pitched in a couple of years. And, then you know, I think it just kind of comes with the surgery for sure. So as we stand right now, as we're recording, recording Julio Tehran still isn't in camp, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, as of today, yes. So, if you had to, and again, I, I I understand like once Patrick Sandoval gets worked, he'll be in the rotation at some point. But if you had to predict or, or guess, um, the just the first round of six guys, obviously with Otani being you know a six man rotation, how do you think that first round of the rotation is going to look like? Yeah, so I think right now, obviously, we know Heaney is going to be the opening day guy. 
Um, and then, you know, I think after that it might be Bundy. And then technically, because I think they open up on a Friday, obviously, that, that I think Otani would be number three because he pitched on the Sunday. Um, so he's going to be definitely in there. And then Canning is in that course, too, part of that rotation. Um, and then Matt Andres is a guy that, that's going to be part of that rotation as well as a number five starter. Um, right now, the number six starter um, is kind of up in the air right now. They're not really sure um, if it's going to be Felix Pena or Jaime Berea. Berea sorry. I think that Pena's got a little bit of a leg up, but also because Pena has more experience doing relief, they might just let Berea take that role and then let Pena be more of a swingman and a long reliever because Madden was saying that they might – uh, you know, have a little bit shorter leash with some of their starters just because games matter more and also because right now guys are stretched out, but they're not, they didn't have as much time to get ready the way they would have in a regular spring training. So I think that you might see some starters get pulled in the fourth inning and bring in like a guy like Paney for a couple innings to bridge the gap. Um, so he's kind of, I'm on the fence on that. I don't really know exactly yet how it'll go with Paney and Berea. Um, but obviously, like I said, having Sandoval back adds to their depth. You know, you get in that rotation at some point. The hope is with Tehran is that when he gets here, um, he'll be able to kind of ramp up pretty quickly because as of what he told ESPN Deportes was he was exposed to the coronavirus. He didn't say he actually tested positive himself. So there's a chance, you never know, maybe he's been healthy and been able to throw. But I don't know that for a fact because they've been pretty mum about things. So we don't really know exactly when he'll join the rotation. But certainly you got to figure that he'll, he'll join it at some point and will be a, definitely a boost for them. Um, but as of now, they're going to go with six guys but also kind of modified. We're on Sunday, some weeks when they only need five. So it's going to kind of jumble around and might skip some guys here too. So it's going to be up to kind of the creativity of Madden and Callaway to kind of make this rotation work. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit, how mum the Angels have been. But how do you how do you feel as the season plays out, you know, the injury report comes out and this guy's missing or this guy's not playing, you know, how difficult is for you as reporters it going to be when you're not really going to know or it doesn't seem like they're going to be – uh, outwardly saying this is why. How hard is that for you as a reporter to kind of, you know, write a story? Yeah, it's been awkward, to be honest, just because, you know, you see these guys who are on the injured list um, and you don't know exactly why. They won't say the only guy we've actually heard was injured, you know, that's been on the injured list was Dylan Peters, which is oblique. Otherwise, you keep seeing these names added to the injured list and you just kind of have to assume that either they have COVID or someone, you know, close to them had COVID and they had to quarantine, but they just can't say it. I get why, because, you know, if there's protocols, and a lot of it's even just against federal law with HIPAA violations in terms of you can't disclose somebody's illness without their consent. Um, so that's why we've kind of found out about it, you know, after the fact. We you know, found out about Patrick Sandoval testing positive. We found out about Matt Seitz testing positive because they told us in Zoom interviews and not because the team released the info. Um, but it shows you, too, it could be tough because Sandoval, you know, had it and he got sick and actually felt sick and was down for a little while, whereas Matt Seitz had a crazier case where he never felt sick but it took him a full month for it to get out of his system, and he couldn't play until he got, you know, tested positive twice within a 24 span negative. And uh, so it shows you, too, what if a player this season tests positive, doesn't feel anything, and then has to sit out for half the season without even ever feeling sick? Obviously, you have to because I don't totally understand why, but it just could be a, a wrinkle, too, that some teams that, you know what I mean, just the, the healthiest team that maybe has the less cases or the less players exposed to cases could have a big advantage. We've still seen a lot of big names around the league that are, you know, still out from camp or still not there. And so I understand why teams can't say it, but it does make it a little awkward. I think the hope, and I do think once it happens during the season, it's going to be even more obvious. So if a team just says, hey, we put so-and-so on the, on the injury list, and if they don't have a reason for an injury, I mean, you, it's pretty fair to assume that it's at least COVID-related. It doesn't mean the player has it himself, but someone in his family could have it. 
you just kind of have to assume just awkwardly that unless the team specifically say the player has it, which has been rare so far, I mean, it's just going to be kind of a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say guessing, but educated guessing, or I don't even know if guessing is the right word at all, but just kind of just figuring it out based on what they say and kind of reading in between the lines. Uh, keeping it to the rotation real quick, you, you mentioned the, the guys you thought would would be. Where where does, in your mind, I mean, I know Patrick Sandoval is just getting into it right now, but where does him and uh, Suarez, where do they sit with you in the rotation? Where are they? Are they guys that they're going to keep for, like, depth in the bullpen? Or, or where do they, like, how, how far are they on the Angels' minds, you know, from I, being there? Yeah, I think they're more depth in the rotation. I think Sandoval's there just in case anything were to happen to somebody else, for sure. Right now, the same thing with Suarez, though. Is he hasn't been at camp yet, so we haven't really got an update on, on how he's doing or where he is yet, so we don't really know how ready he's going to be when he shows up. That's kind of the hard part, like I said, is just you don't really know. You don't really get a, you know, they can't really give us even an estimate on when these guys could be back or how long it could take for them. So, yeah, I mean, I said they'd love to get him back and add him to the depth there. Um, obviously, Chris Rodriguez is a guy they really like and had a, you know, a great showing, uh, you know, last night. Um, I don't think he's going to be a starting candidate early, but Madden did say he's a guy that could see some action late in the season, maybe even in a relief role. But the thing is, too, even early in camp, I mean, Madden said today they're going to have probably, if they're going to have a 30-man roster, he said 18 of them are probably going to be pitchers. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be even 11 relievers on top of the six, you know, uh, rotation guys. So there's going to be a lot of options to use for relievers and that kind of stuff. So that'll help for the pitching depth. But it would be nice to have... Suarez healthy and obviously Tehran and add to that depth. But as of right now, the Magic Kelly and Berea probably more than they expected, and Pena, and even to have injuries already be in the rotation as well. And so, kind of talking about your rotation depth, I forgot we have another email talking about that, and this one's from Duncan Healy, loyal emailer. And again, you can always email us at allangelspodcast at gmail dot com. He says, "Hey guys, so what do you guys think about how the pitching staff will hold up? Do you think the extra time off has made them stronger, or do you still?" have to worry about that dead arm period for pitchers kind of hitting us and obviously affecting us. So what do you, what, how do you feel about that? I think it probably helps the angels just because, um, you know, less, you know, kind of a, a shorter season, you could use the bullpen arms more. You can like, even, even Callaway was saying that you could use the bullpen. Let's say you could use, you could use Ty Butch, Butchery, sorry, 30 times a season in 60 games. Obviously it'd be tough to use them 80 times at 162 game season, you know, just because of wear and tear. So at least you can kind of run your bullpen guys out there as much as possible to get as many outs as possible and not to worry about injury as much. And also, same thing, it'd be, right now it would be a bigger concern if they had a lot of these pitchers out uh, for a longer season. But the fact that some of these guys are out and they have a you know, you know, shorter season, I think it's going to be helpful for them and keep some of these guys fresh. And I think even the six-man rotation will help with keeping Heaney and, and Bundy and some of these guys fresh too. Um, that's kind of Madden's plan too. He likes the fact that it kind of – spaces them out and gives them time to kind of recover from their starts and, and kind of stay fresh. And hopefully, I said, maybe even give a little bit more innings once they kind of get their feet under them. But, um, but I do think that the depth is hurt right now, but I, I do think that the shorter season probably does help them. So then obviously moving into the um, bullpen. Another Good segue. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we're trying to be professionals mm-hmm. here. Uh, another email from Lauren Cottage. She want to talk about the bullpen. And she says, hello, quick comment slash question. How how underrated is the Angels' bullpen? And I remember Johnny talking last year about how good the back end of the bullpen could be in 2020. With them not getting taxed like they did last year, um, we should expect some good relief. Am I right? So how do you feel about the back end of the bullpen especially? Yeah, that's a great question. And she framed it perfectly with the question about 
you know, the fact that they're not going to be as worn down. We know last year with, with Ty Butchery, that kind of seemed to be the case to a certain degree. You know, kind of had a little bit of the late fade a little bit. And you see that sometimes guys get overworked. I don't think we're going to see that as much this year. And I do think it's going to be, you know, key to see how good, you know, I guess Keenan Middleton is, uh, because I think that he's looked incredible so far in summer camp and could be a big boost for this team. I know they've always had high hopes for him. And coming off Tommy John, you never know what you're going to get. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's looked great so far. And Pedrosian, I think, you know, is coming off a pretty solid year. Um, you know, they've got some other guys they brought in, and Ryan Buckter from the A's, who's always had a career low ERA, or pretty low career ERA, um, as a lefty. Um, so, they, yeah, they definitely like their bullpen a lot. You know, some new guys that have kind of turned heads so far is Mike Myers, uh, who's with the Cardinals, and Jacob Barnes, who's with the Brewers. Um, that's two guys they really like a lot, that Madden mentions a lot of guys that stand out so far. Even as Jacob Rame they brought over from the Mets, is a guy with really, really high, you know, Velocity and spin rate on both his fastball and his curveball. It's actually pretty similar even in shape and everything to Hansel Robles. So I think they're kind of hoping that um, they can kind of get him on track, especially because Callaway was his manager with the Mets, and now he's obviously the pitching coach here. So they can kind of get him on track. Um, so there's definitely some, some bullpen depth for sure. Um, and like I said, I think Callaway's going to ride these guys. I wouldn't say too hard, but, you know, ride these guys for sure, just knowing that there is going to be, you know, a little bit less of a season and that grind for a reliever. Uh, just of going through a whole long season. Now you only have to do it for two months instead of six months. It's definitely a, a big, a big change for sure. You talked about Buckter, like you know, left-hander, and I know that a lot of going, a lot that's going around about left-handers out of the bullpen is they're going to be a thing of the past. Um, I don't know if it was you or or, or um, Trent who tweeted about his outing and how he was actually doing good against right-handers. How important is it for him to actually? show that he can get right-handers out to keep his spot, you know, in that staff, in that bullpen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously lefties nowadays, especially with a three batter minimum rule, you know, you can't throw him in there as a situational guy just since he won, you know, one batter. Um, but he's he's had a history, you know, even with his age. Like with the age, I said, he's, I know his ERA is really low for his career. And uh, looking at his splits last year, he was hit by righties a little bit. But historically, he's done pretty well against both. Um, so I think that they have some trust in him to, to do both. And I think that Madden just knows there's no such thing as a specialist, a specialist anymore. So, he, he, you know, that's the big thing of Booker. He has to know he has to get right-handers out. And so far, I think what it was is, yeah, I think it was last night he had, uh, you know, he got four outs on, I think, he faced three batters and got four outs because they did some drills where they had guys on base and that kind of stuff to simulate that. Because that's been one of the things they've been doing in the simulated games, or sorry, the inter-squad games, is they've been doing situational stuff too. They'll start innings with a guy on second base just to be like mimicking the, you know, the extra inning rules and they've been doing rundowns and bunt drills and everything you could possibly think of that is, you know, kind of interesting to see that in a, in a kind of inter-squad setting when you're not, you're used to seeing it in a drill in spring training. It's weird to see them doing it in games, but it makes sense just to kind of get them ready for the, the new rules this season. So with the back three guys, Middleton, Buttree, and Robles, um, how do you see their, or how do you feel their roles will be going into the season, do you believe Robles has done enough to um, hold on to that closure spot that he had and did pretty well last year with the Angels? Yeah, I would think so, unless things go south in a hurry. But so far, he's been really good in camp and obviously keeps it light. He's the leader of that bullpen. Uh, you know, it's pretty funny. Yesterday with him sitting Is on the trumpet? Do you have a trumpet? bench with the trumpet out there. And <laughs> he's always the guy, that even when he walk into the clubhouse, to bring his own stereo. And so he, he just is kind of the life of the clubhouse. The guys love him. He's hilarious. Um, the Caballo Blanco. So, uh, too bad to have the fun experience of him. You know, I'm sure they'll still have that video, hopefully, of him coming to the mound 
Um, but it's just not going to have the same effect without any fans in there. But uh, obviously it was a weird video last year, but it was fun. And no, yeah, I think that for sure, though, look at his numbers too. There's nothing to worry about. You never know with relievers, but nothing last year about Robles is concerning so far. So you never know the volatility of the way things happen with relievers, especially in a short season like this. But they like him a lot, and they love Butchery, obviously. I think Butchery will be like last year, kind of a fireman role where they'll bring him into any big spots. Um, but I do think they'll try to use some of those mid relievers too. Um, and I think that's why I do, I do think there's still a chance that Pena could be in relief just to kind of be also a fireman role, but more early on in the, in the game uh, rather than later. I love that term, fireman role. Just come out, come in and, and put the fire out, whatever inning it is or whatever situation it is. I exactly. love how, how teams have, are, are doing that now. And and then with Buttry, I feel like last year, man, anytime the Angels were in a tough situation, like there's Ty Buttry, like, you know, especially early on, it was mm-hmm. just like this dude is he's in here and he's getting outs. And I'm excited for this season just because, you know, Ty's not going to be taxed. And like you said, they can just throw him in there exactly. at any situation. Yeah. So now kind of moving away from the pitching staff, and I know that's probably what the Angels, that's probably at least with the Angel fans. Um, that's like the most questions I, I've, I've seen personally. But another question that I've seen pop up a lot, whether it's, you know, directed to you, directed to Jeff Fletcher, directed to Maria Torres or, you know, whoever's covering the team is where do you see Joe Adele fitting in with the Angels this year? Does Do you think he breaks, you know, summer camp with the team and is in that 30-man range? Or do you think, you know, it, does it take a little bit before he uh, makes his uh, Angels debut this year? I think it's going to take a little bit just because, even yesterday we had Joe Madden on Zoom on, on Wednesday, and he pretty much said that at this point they don't really want to rush Joe Adele. But he has been, you know, it's, you watch those practices and you can't help but see how good he's been. I mean, the power he's shown has been pretty tremendous. You know, he's a great defender. He's had a couple mistakes, though, defensively. Um, you know, so that's been kind of an issue. Um, but I, I do think that he's obviously got a ton of talent. Um, I just think it's probably unlikely he makes the opening day roster. And that would have been the case, I think, too, with the, you know, to start the year if it would have been normal, too. I think that he probably would have went AAA Salt Lake and probably given a chance to see what he could do there and then would have got called up at some point. But even now, the hard thing is just is just the playing time aspect, right? You know, you got Brian Goodwin in right field, and they still like Goodwin a lot. And then you got Hermosillo behind him. But really, in between those two is David Fletcher. I mean, they're going to try to get David Fletcher in the lineup as much as they possibly can. So I can see times where Fletcher's in right field, too, over Goodwin sometimes. And um, so I just don't know. It's hard to find consistent playing time for Adele. Um, but at the same time, you know, maybe because this year is different, it, they could still bring him up because, you know, in the in the past, obviously, you could still, you know, without consistent playing time, it's tough because you could put him in the minors for that. But this year, obviously, there's none of that. All he'd be able to do is just train at, you know, Long Beach. So the question maybe is it makes sense for him to continue to train at Long Beach if they think it's ready to help or, or are they, you know, what are they going to do? So and, and it could obviously be dictated by injuries. Um, so I do think there's a chance he makes the debut this year. I just don't think it's going to be uh, on opening day. Yeah, I think I think we're we're on the same boat. I think I think we all agree that I, from the very beginning, you know, even before this COVID thing, knew that I think eventually Joe, there's no need to rush Joe down. You got a guy like Brian Goodwin, and if Brian Goodwin's going to do a good job like he did last year, if you get good, the Goodwin we got last year, it's definitely more than serviceable to fill that role. Until Joe is ready. I think how many games did he have in AAA last year? Not, a Not very lot. many, yeah. right? So um, why rush him? And I'm on the same boat. Hey, you know, let this guy progress through the system better and give him some more at-bats, you know, at, at you know, and in a Long Beach-type camp with 
with guys and work out. But, you know, um, I thought that eventually he'd make his debut this year. I thought he maybe might be a September call-up. But, you know, it, it, you know, especially when the depth angels have out there with, with Hermosillo as well. So can't disagree there at all either. And you kind of brought it up a little bit, too, with Fletcher playing the outfield. And that's, yeah. something, that's something we yeah. saw, you know, back in Tempe, which seems like forever He's ago. He's got a lot of reps in there, out there, <laughs> Tempe too. seems like two years ago yeah, for, for everything that's happening. <laughs> but, you know, how realistic is you think we see Fletcher, you know, play their play? I, I'm guessing they would put him in right field. Um, you know, how realistic is that that we see him play significant time during this abbreviated season? season? Yeah, I, mean, I think for them, they're probably going to give him as much as they possibly can. I mean... Whether it's a, you know, I don't think it's going to be that many days off for most of the regulars, but obviously any time that Rendon or Simmons needs, you know, a day, uh, you know, those positions, of course, you know, Listella or, you know, if it's a lefty in the mound, Listella might sit. Um, you know, I think they'll have a little more flexibility, too, when they get a DH. Uh, in a sense that, like, you know, when they don't have to use Otani as a DH, obviously, I meant. Um, so those days where D- Otani can't DH, they can obviously DH maybe Listella instead, um, or even DH, you know, Pujols to put Listella at first. Um, so there's some ways they can kind of make it work to get L- Fletcher in there. But you look at last year, too. I mean, Fletcher was second on the team in war behind uh, Mike Trout. Uh, so, I mean, he was the second best player on the team, according to the advanced metrics. So if you have a guy that good who's, you know, I think he was second best in the majors at strikeout rate, but he also had the highest contact rate of anybody in the majors last year at putting the bat on the ball. So he's just kind of one of those guys that, offensively can just get on base, puts the bat on the ball all the time, impossible to strike out, can get on base. So to me, I think he's just going to be moving around, but I think he's probably going to be set as mostly as, as a leadoff hitter just because of his ability to get on base in front of Trout and Rendon and Otani. I think that even the days that him and Lestella play, I think Lestella's got more power. So maybe we'll see Lestella deeper in the lineup than uh, last year when we saw a little bit of Lestella lead off. I just think that Fletcher brings so much to the table He's so, you know, underrated maybe nationally, but I think Angel fans know what he brings defensively, what he brings offensively, just on the bases. He does everything right. So, I mean, the same thing. He's been probably the best player so far in summer camp with everything he's done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that has to play as much as possible. So, obviously, you know, those are kind of the bigger questions. You kind of touched on the, the La Stella mm-hmm. um, taking reps at first base, and that's something we thought we were going to see a lot more in, in Tempe, but um, – I know it's not a whole lot of work there so far, but from what you've seen, how does it look for him taking uh, balls at first base? Yeah, he's fine with that. I mean, he's done it before. Um, he, played, he did a little bit of it last year with the Angels, too, and obviously got some reps there during spring training. So not as many as I thought either. I think they kind of thought going into the year they were going to kind of rely on Matt Theis and possibly even Jared Walsh a little bit in those roles. Um, but I think right now, just kind of looking at it, I think especially when Walsh and Theis were late to camp because of you know, at the time, we didn't really know why Thais wasn't. We still don't know why Walsh wasn't. But they're both there now, which is good. So definitely a chance. Uh, even today, they both got a ton of at-bats in the inter-squad game uh, to kind of get them ready. So I think that right now, I think Thais still has a good chance to be the backup at first and make the squad. But I do think that some of those days with Listella, just how much more of a consistent bat he has, they might try to get him out there at first. Just because in this, same, thing, same thing, you just can't, you can't put one of those Sunday morning rosters out there, lineups out there, kind of a getaway roster. I mean, you have to you, – every single game is so important this year that you have to maximize your chances to win and maximize your lineup pretty much every game. So I think we're going to see a lot more of those kind of regulars and fewer days off for, the, for the, big, the big players for sure. So obviously you have been at summer camp at Angel Stadium. Um, what – you know, they're playing in an empty stadium and some of their inter-squad games have been somewhat serious. 
but when you go to a stadium like that and the size of it and it's completely empty and there's piped in sound a little bit and, and music, how has it been for you going there and how weird has it been? Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, I remember going the first time and it was stranger when it first started because they didn't do any piped in noise at all. So it was totally quiet. So it was just weird. It was almost like watching. It just didn't feel, even though they were trying, it was, you know, I think Otani pitched that day and it was major leaguers and it was cool to see Trout hit. It still just never felt like real or normal in a weird way just because it was, it was quiet. It just, it just didn't feel like a game, but the crowd noise at least helps make it feel a little bit more like a game. But even the crowd noise, it just kind of sounds more like white noise. It's just kind of like this kind of just, just constant, like an ocean almost or something like waves or something, but at least it's more noise. So it makes it feel a little bit more normal, kind of the buzz of a stadium. And also I think too, the MLB just also, it makes sense so that teams can't hear other teams, you know, if they're talking in the dugout or given, you know what I mean? Advice, whatever. If they're just talking, they don't want other teams to hear what they're saying. So I think that's probably a reason why they're going to do that too. So I do think that the crowd noise does help. I know Rendon hated it. And part of it is because, None of the cheers or any of the noises like corresponds with what happens. You know, you're so used to the player, you make contact. You know, the crowds go nuts. You know what I mean? So, like, especially with a home run type thing. So it's weird to just have that noise and not have that crescendo. Um, so some players are getting used to that. But yeah, just being there, it's weird. They have us up in the right field press box, so we're kind of far away from the action. Um, but just to see everything, it's just totally empty, and the, and the players all have their own suite. So it's kind of interesting too. They're, they're supposed to get dressed in the clubhouse kind of quickly. And then otherwise, if they have downtime or whatever else, they go into their suite. They're allowed to sit in the suite and relax in there and have their own mini fridge and all that stuff. And um, so it's kind of a, a trip to see that even. It's kind of weird for them to space out that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's just weird. I mean, it's just it's really not going to lie. It is just strange. I mean, I'm sure it'll probably feel a little bit more normal um, once they play other teams. You see other colors over there. Um, I'm sure we'll find out a lot more once the exhibition games start here uh, on Monday against the Padres. I'll go to the one at Angel Stadium, possibly at Dodger Stadium, but I won't be down in San Diego. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that changes anything. But, but yeah, I'm sure even in the season it's going to be it's going to be different. But I mean, I think we're still going to see high quality baseball with these players, and and still a lot of high energy, and they know what's at stake here once the season starts. But it still just seems kind of weird, truthfully, watching it in an empty park when the games don't really count yet. And you mentioned that they kind of have you in the right field press box. And for any Angel fan that knows it's been the Angel Stadium, you realize how far away from the field that actually is. Um, but if you had your choice to, to watch the game or cover the game at any part of the stadium, because it's going to be empty, um, what part of the stadium would you uh, choose to watch the game in? It's always nice to wrap at home, right behind home plate, you know, especially for our purposes. And it's you know nice to be able to see the pitches and – you know, the old press box is right behind home plate, like second level right above the, um, whatever the name of the pavilion is, the, the little dining area is underneath, you know, right there behind home plate, um, the home plate club, whatever it is. Yeah, I and, think it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, the views the views there were incredible, and, like, you can see the break of the pitches and really see what the guys were doing. Um, so, you know, during the season, they have us in a press box that's behind home plate. It's more of a converted old radio booth, but it still works, you know, and it's still a good view from there. So even that would be nice, but the hard part right now, like I said, is the players all have their access to their suites, and we technically, as a tier three, cannot interact with the players, like, face-to-face. So, like, that's why we're not allowed in that area behind home plate. So we're all in right field, and I think even from what I can tell, the the radio and TV broadcasters won't be in their normal spot in the stadium either. I think even the, when, like, you know, with the Angels broadcast with, you know, Gooby and, and Victor, I think they're going to be doing them from the stadium, from the truck outside the stadium and not even in the, in the press box area. So a lot of it's just because of COVID protocols, 
Um, but it is, does make it tough in right field to kind of see the action. And some teams, you know, like, you know, for example, the Twins I used to cover, they're using their normal press box. They have a different setup there. So the beat reporters actually have a pretty good view from there. So that, to me, it would be nice to have a better view. I understand why we can't. And truthfully, we're not allowed to really roam. I can't just pick a seat or a section of myself. We're basically told, sit in your seat, wear a mask at all times. Basically, don't get up unless you're going to go to the bathroom. So um, it is pretty strict, but obviously I understand why for safety reasons. So you are a voter for um, the awards at the end of the year, correct? Yes. How Have you thought about how you will approach this year's awards, it being such a short season, and then if a guy, whether it's a Cy Young guy or MVP guy, gets on a hot streak for, you know, uh, a, a good stretch, it might not might be who he is, but for that year, are you do you take that into consideration? Do you, you know, have you thought at all about how the awards are going to be played out with when you vote? Yeah, it could be interesting. You said it could be a guy that is not a big star, right? It could be just a guy that goes on a hot streak that might just be a you know above average regular or some guy that just goes nuts for for 60 games. Sometimes that happens. You know, sometimes we've seen guys go on crazy hot streaks. So it might not be. You know, a superstar who does it. Um, but I, I still think I'll probably I'll still vote for whoever was the best this season, regardless of kind of what they've done in the past. I mean, I think it's more if, if it was an all-star vote, I'd probably lean toward the guy who's done it in the past, let the best players play on the field in an all-star game. But if I'm voting for the MVP or the, you know, rookie of the year or whatever, I'm going to vote for the guy who had the best season, regardless of what he's done before, even if it is a crazy year because I'm voting for that you know, award for how they did that one season. Um, but, yeah, you're right, though. I mean, it could be totally – just someone on a hot streak, there's a pitcher or a hitter that, that kind of runs away to this award. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens. Or you know, But the nice thing about a guy like Trout, though, is you know, there's some guys even that are MVP caliber, caliber that are hot and cold. Like Trout's pretty much always just hot. So he's going to be around there somewhere. He's, gonna have a, he's not going to really have a down year, I can't imagine, really in any scenario. Yeah, a guy like, like Tommy LaSella last year, I mean, that, yeah. that's a guy who could have won, a, you know, like we're, they're talking about. Yeah, right, first half MVP, right? And you yeah. come out of nowhere and boom, hit all these home runs. Right. It definitely happens. So I guess this is kind of a bigger question, not only with the awards, but the season in general. When you look back, you know, 10, 15 years from now, and you look at the 2020 season, you know, will you have like an asterisk next to the season, next to these awards? Or is it? do you think it should be just, hey, this is what the situation was and they should get full credit for, you know, whatever award the team or the player uh, might have won? I guess it depends on who wins, right? If the Astros win, it's definitely an asterisk. It doesn't count for them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> playing to no, your I mean, crowd. Stop. I love it. Playing to the crowd. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean... It's still would be an achievement. I guess we'll kind of see how the season goes. I mean, a lot of teams, people even said that with COVID, it could even be the healthiest teams get to the postseason and maybe the healthiest team wins it in a sense that, you know, if you have some big stars that get sick and can't play, you know, that might just be bad luck in a sense, you know. So you never really know how it's going to go. But um, hopefully they can get through it more, you know, without any hiccups and we'll kind of, or, even, or maybe even just realistically minimal hiccups. Um, and, yeah, I mean, is it going to be a little different? Yeah, of course. Even little probably, you know, underestimating how, how big of a deal it is that it's just 60 games. But, you know, it's still not going to be easy to win. You know, it's always hard to, to put together this kind of a season and, and to win it all at the end and be the champion. It's still a lot of hard work. So, yeah, so I wouldn't say that it's tainted or anything, but I think it's a little different. I mean, at the same time, I guess you don't look back and, I mean, the Dodgers won the World Series in 81 when, when it was, uh, you know, a strike year and it was a strange year where it was half and half. But I think... Most Dodger fans, it was a long time ago. Now, would still say they won it. You know, the Spurs won the championship in the lockout year. I remember that. And 
I don't like the Spurs at all, but I mean they won it that year. So, um, so yeah, I, I still th- say for the winners that's what the rules say. But fans are going to be fans, and I think whatever the fans think is probably going to be what the goes though. So I guess you know a couple questions before we let you go, Red. And again, thank you for uh, your time and doing the take two on the season preview. But from you know you are able to zoom these guys, not necessarily have face to face interaction with them, but your general feel about the players and when they bring up the subject of the COVID, do you feel like these guys are worried? Do you feel like these guys are just kind of have their head down and, you know, business as usual? Like what's your feel around the guys and how worried they are about everything going on in the world? I think it kind of varies from individual to individual. I think some guys obviously have a reason to worry more. Like we've talked to Mike Trout, obviously we know about his wife being pregnant. That's going to be a big factor for him in general. Um, And I think we're still trying to figure out, um, you know, when, when the baby's born, you know, how he's going to be able to go see the baby and get back. And if he's got the quarantine, we don't really know the answers to that yet. So obviously he's going to be really careful. Um, you know, I think the other guys, though, kind of like Upton, kind of, Upton, sorry, uh, Rendon was more of, you know, I, I'm not someone that's, you know, at risk. Neither is anyone in my family, but obviously he's still going to be smart because he knows his teammates and, uh, you know, need him to be smart. And obviously his coaching staff, too. You know, Joe Madden's 66 years old. You know, there's some, some older people that, you know, could be certainly affected. And, certain people's families. So I, I think though the more, most important thing is all the players are taking it really seriously um, and, and, and abiding by the guidelines, but it's just going to be a question of what guys abide by it once they go home. But I, I do think this team has been very, very adamant about that. They've made strict team rules about not having, you know, dinner at restaurants and that kind of stuff. So I think as long as people try their best to do the, you know, the, the rules, you know, if they are strict, they're strict for a reason. And hopefully they get through this, but like I said, so much of this thing's just, it can be out of your control sometimes if, with some of these people that have tested positive. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes for sure. Now, this is my last question, and it, and it has to do with the COVID, the Rona. Um, after the hiccups that MLB had at the beginning with the whole testing and stuff, you know, Fourth the, of July. the Fourth of July mix-up, you know, how has has Major League Baseball – kind of clean that up or was that or was that legit you know hey it was a mistake moving forward it's it's going to be you know easy breezy how have from what you've seen is do you feel like yeah this this season's going to happen because MLB is setting these rules in place and they're going to be they're going to abide by it yeah I mean I, I think that um I, I don't know it's hard to say I mean I, I think that MLB, I think it was just a hiccup. You know, I think just for that one weekend, it was Fourth of July weekend. Uh, some teams have had some issues, but I mean, for the most part, um, I think that the Angels have said, you know, Joe Madden said all the right things, and they've done, you know, that the one day they kind of had a light workout because of it. Um, but I think right now, as we've seen, it's been a lot better overall, just in MLB. So there was that weekend of hiccups on the fourth, but I think that right now it's been better. They have to continue to get better and make sure that it happens because they can't afford to have it happen when the games start. You know what I mean? They have to have a postponed game because of tests would be a bad look. So I, I think it's had to kind of get it all in order. It took a little bit of time, but I think now it's starting to get more streamlined. And I think even like Madden says, it's kind of more normal too. You're just part of your process. You know, your daily routine, you come in, your temperature check, you know, you get your test. Most of them nicely are their spit test too, which is nice instead of having to have the one all the way up your nose every time. So it's a little bit easier on the players. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the testing thing, you know, is obviously going to be really, really important, but I do think it's gotten better. So my last question before we let you go, Rhett, um, if you had to take a guess, educated guess, the percentage that we get to opening day in a week and a percentage that we finish the season with a World Series champion? 
I think the percentage of getting the next week seems pretty high. I think right now, I mean, I don't really know. You know, it's obviously everything seems like it can change day to day, but I don't really, unless something huge happens to derail it, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think right now that the, the numbers in testing have been so pretty low. It seems like teams are, are kind of getting ready to go here. There are questions, obviously, about some of the things like with Toronto, where they're going to play their home games. Potentially even, I saw, I saw a thing with the D.C. with uh, the Nats might not play their home games in D.C., so there's some of that, which is a little bit of a concern. But I, I think they're as of right now being only a week away. And said unless something crazy happens on foreseen, I think they're going to start this season. I, I really do. Are they going to get through it? Honestly, I'm not a. It'd be a total guess. Like I said, I don't know. I'm not a you know a disease specialist, uh, an infection specialist to know exactly how this is going to go or what's okay, going to happen or what to expect. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope to God it happens. But honestly, I'd just be guessing. Um, so I'm hoping. But I do think it's going to start. Can they finish? I sure hope so. But like I said, it's hard for me to, to really know and put a percentage on that. All right, Rhett, thank you again uh, for taking the time out and talking not only your All-Angels team, but um, the season, the shortened 60-game season that's going to start next week. Fingers crossed that everything goes well. And, um, you know, maybe we'll have you back on at the halfway point after the halfway point of 30 games and see where we <laughs> yeah, are, how, we, how we are with the season. But, again, Rhett, thank you very much. No problem. Hijo de su chingada madre. Ay, wey. Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Man, start taking notes because Manscaped accents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. This is their third generation trimmer featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad voice nice and smooth. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. They spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved lawnmower 3.0. Guys, I had the 2.0 and I didn't think it could get any better, but this one's better. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light that illuminates the grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. So many people have written in stories about the Lawnmower 3.0 has changed their life. They even included pics so I could see the smoothness for myself, and they're not kidding. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code armchair. Your balls will thank you. There's no shortage of action going on with our partner over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer all have resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NBA, NFL, NFL, UFC, live every day for our devoted gamblers and check it out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. That's BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. 
What's up? Johnny Catfish here, ambassador for Groom Goon Beard and Body Care. Are you tired of your beard feeling rough and not so fresh? Do yourself a favor and do what I did and check out www.groomgoon.com. Groom Goon carries a variety of beard oils and beard and body soaps that will leave your beard feeling soft and smelling great all day long. Don't just take my word for it. Go check it out for yourself. Again, that's www.groomgoon.com. And at checkout, use discount code CATFISHTHEGOON, all one word, CATFISHTHEGOON, and receive 15% off your purchase. Why choose Groom Goon? Well, because your beard deserves it. Listen to my show, The Punk Corner, on KJ Epic Radio, every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. This is Chris Rodriguez with the Los Angeles Angels, and you're listening to the All Angels Podcast. And that was our interview with Rhett Bollinger again, MLB.com, Angels beat writer, reporter. Follow him on his Twitter, at Rhett Bollinger. I mean, he's updating constantly on there right now, especially through summer camp. Yeah, definitely. If you don't, you know... You know, there's a handful of guys that you definitely and women that you want to, mm-hmm. I would think you would follow and also get alerts. And that's like Maria Torres, that's uh, Fabian Ardaya, the athletic, that's OC registers, Jeff Fletcher, and then obviously Red Bollinger for MLB.com. And, mm-hmm. you know, if those guys say it, it's true. I know there's a lot of sites out there, a lot of accounts out there that'll put stuff out there. But if these guys say it, it's true. And Red's always been really, really good with us as far as his time and uh, letting us in to see what's going on. Um, at summer camp when, you know, for the most part, nothing's really been televised and we can't see yeah. anything. So it's also uh, really cool to have them on there. Yeah, Twitter is your place to be there. They're uploading videos. I, even Jose Moda's on there um, showing live some of the yeah. live streaming, some of the inner squad games and stuff. But we did have some emails that were answered pretty much by Red, but we do have one coming up right here. Go ahead. Yeah, from Lamar Washington. He's all, uh, what's good, fellas? Any idea if the Angels will be doing a cardboard cutout thing? I see the Dodgers and a few other teams are doing it. The Dodgers are charging a ridiculous price, and I saw those prices, and I forgot. I forgot off the top of my head, but when I saw it, I was yeah. like, "No!" It was like uh, it was like one forty. One forty for like the cheapest, and like field, like where the camera can show you was I think two hundred and ninety nine dollars. So yeah, that's ridiculous. And I've heard like uh, Oakland, and I even like a couple of and other the Bay, places. Both Bay areas, I yeah. Think the, the Giants. Also there was did another it. one too. I want to say Arizona, and they were reasonable. They were like right. eighty bucks or whatever yeah. it was. But the Dodgers wanting to make that cash flow. They just right. redid that stadium, so they got to get ready for the 2022 uh, All-Star game. game. But um, I hope they do because that's a cool way to yeah. involve the fans. But as you of know? yet, again, we're recording this Thursday. You're going to hear it Friday or after Friday. We're a week away from opening day, but you know, maybe a week and a half from Angels home opener. And right. they haven't put anything out. I would think they would have to give themselves a pretty good heads up or head start to do it. So I, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do it for the home opener. Maybe it's something they do – um, you know, coming up, but as of right now, I have not seen anything no. from Angels or uh, Angels PR or anything like that that they're going to do it. So, you know, it's kind of a wait and see, but I guarantee you, if they do do it, Rhett will probably uh, post it or, or, or right. tweet it. So, again, follow Rhett at rhettbollinger.com. Right. While or we're Rhett on that, uh, sorry, not dot com, at Rhettbollinger on, on Twitter. On Twitter. On While we're on that topic of, of the stadium, real quick, I want to get your what do you think of them tarping off more seats just so that it 
doesn't look so empty. The seats look no. That's empty. cool. I mean, obviously, it's 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 kind of tacky when it's like, oh, you're tarping it off because you can't sell those tickets. Right. right. When you're tarping it off because you can't have anyone in right. the stadium, I, I, I think that's cool. I think yeah. if they can put a logo, put like a an logo, angel logo. advertisement, exactly, yeah, uh-huh. and, and help with the cost. You know, it's, obviously, it's going to cost of ownership a ton of money for doing the season with the, with the players and everything like that. So if they can make some of the kind of that money right. back and not push it back on us for next year, yeah, I'm all yeah, for yeah. it. And I don't, you know, obviously, like when the Marlins do it or Tampa Bay does, I think it looks tacky because like, well, right. cause you can't sell those tickets. Right, right. But in this situation where you can't sell any tickets to anybody, I think right. it's, it's a smart move. And I think even if you're tarping off seats, I think that's an extra like kind of level of protection too, where right. people that are kind of working at the stadium don't have you the, don't have to do that yeah you know what yeah. i mean like oh it's tarped the pe- off the people I'm not are going there anywhere. cleaning it after every game are like, right sweet i don't have to go, i don't have to go to section right. you know 325 exactly. or whatever so no that yeah so it's gonna be an interesting interesting season without a doubt but hey you know we're gonna get it and it's right around the corner and i wanted to touch real quick too before we get to our final little uh we will be watching it together the the yes. season opener and we still kind of haven't decided what we're going to do, but do expect us to kind of do either do some live streaming or maybe a special little podcast. I don't know, but if you don't follow us, if you're listening to us on the podcast side, follow us on our social media platforms. That's at Halo underscore Haven on Instagram or on Facebook, Halo Haven. We're excited for the season and we kind of want to be a, we want to do something on opening yeah, day. Definitely. So that we kind of, Feel like we're doing this together, guys. Because right. this is, hey, we're not able, we're not gonna be able to go to the stadium together this year. But if we can kind of live stream something, I think that'd be pretty cool. So no, look I, for I, that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Again, you mentioned it. Follow Halo underscore Haven on Twitter and on Instagram and on our Facebook page, Halo Haven. Um, and we've been posting the, you know, besides this podcast that we're doing right now, normally we'll we'll post our live stream our podcast but since it was an interview um you know with, yeah. and with red not being here uh it, we didn't do it this time but we definitely want to do it for podcasts in the future and then obviously with opening day just around around the corner so another thing we want to talk about before we go is aced out clothing if you guys again follow us on our social media you've seen that they've given us two hats to give away the mike trout hats um and so johnny and i were kind of brainstorming and trying to figure out ways we can give it to you as a, as a give a give out and so what we kind of decided to do is that we want this podcast to grow. We need this podcast to grow. I will put down anything and say we are the best fan-run Angels podcast out there. Uh, we have interviews. We have player interviews, media interviews, obviously. And we're trying to grow it bigger because, you know, we're tr- we think a lot of fans want to hear what we have to say and, and who we have on. So with that being said, one of the ways we make that happen is having reviews written about this podcast on our Apple podcast uh, page. So the giveaways will be really easy. Write a review, five-star review, screenshot it, um, email it to us, DM us. However you're hearing this, again, allangelspodcast at gmail.com or halo underscore haven. Just get us a picture of it with your name and you're automatically entered. And we're going to do this all the way until the Angels home opener. Like we talked about, it's going to be on... uh, July, I almost said April, um, July 28th against the uh, Mariners. So we are probably going to, you know, do a live stream or something like that to announce it. But again, only way you can get into it is write a review on our Apple podcast page. Uh, five stars. It can be something as simple as, hey, the guys do a great job. Boom, send. Or, you know, a love listen podcast. Boom, send. But we really need uh, to 
pump those numbers up to help us spread the word to other Angel fans that are going to be into Angels baseball with the season coming up right around the corner. Yeah. So, again, guys, if you guys want to check out the hats that we're going to be giving out, go on our Instagram feed at Halo underscore Haven. Just look for the Instagram TV. And uh, Dan showed, uh, kind of unveiled, opened. An unboxing. I heard, unbox. that's, I heard that's a popular right. thing nowadays with Unbox kids. Unbox these hats. I have one. Um, you know, I use my discount to get my uh, hat. Halo Haven discount. Halo Haven. So if you, go, yeah, if you go on our Instagram, it's the link's in our bio. It'll take you straight to anything you purchase. It'll just automatically insert that Halo Haven um, discount for you. And if you don't, and if you have fan, family members right. or friends that aren't Angels fans, that's yes. cool because they have other teams there. Right. They have Dodger players. They have Yankee players. They have Boston players. Um, but either way, that, um, account, that discount is... It's fine. Again, it, Halo. It works all it works. across Halo the board. Halo Haven, 10% off. Right. Out clothing. Check out the link in our Instagram bio. Send you straight there. And, and these hats are MLB player approved hats. So they're legit. They're not knockoffs. They're, they do look like the old-fashioned um, NBA draft uh, style hats. I don't know if you guys remember, too, the NFL uh, draft day hats. Uh, they look really cool. They they. Ev- Almost every star player in, on the major league team, they have it. So go check it out. I have the Mike Trout gray with red bill. Beautiful hat. Love it. I uh, can't wait to actually wear it at the stadium. I'm going to have to wait till 2021. But again, do what you got to do. And again, guys, if, if if you guys don't win this give out giveaway, it's okay. Check out A-Star Clothing and then buy one for yourself and use our hey, discount and code. we get... And they already told us we get a good turnout and you guys, you know, buy hats here and there and it's a good numbers. They have no problem giving us out more for, uh, you know, when they release a new hat or something, giving us some yeah. to promote. So, um, again, help the people that help us with this podcast. Um, again, I'll say it. I think we are the best fan run podcast out there for Angels Baseball. I've listened to all of them that I know of and I honestly say we do the most with the most, you know, whether it's players, media members or anything like that. I think we are uh, hands down the best. I'm just, I'm just going to say it too. We're the best um, Halo, uh, Halo, or Halo Fuck, Instagram yeah. <laughs> uh, page. Uh, fan ran. We don't use stock photos. Most of the time we don't. I don't think we do. And if we do, it's just an experiment. But we don't use stock <laughs> photos. We Everything that we post on our Halo Haven page is, you know, something that Dan does on a video. It's something that Chris posts from his swap meet finds. It has angel memorabilia. It's some of my angels memorabilia. It's one of my live feeds or something. But it's all fan-driven. We don't claim to know everything. We don't post false information. We we don't we don't try to jump on the we news. We just have Red like Bollinger that. on or, or yeah, people we, like that on the do. So we give a phone call or we send a text to find out what's happening and be like, hey, do you want to jump on the podcast with us? And that's how we do our thing. So we try our best to be 100% sincere and honest and give you the information that we get from valuable sources so yeah with that being said who have sources that we don't have <laughs> right who have sources exactly that are way above our uh, pay, pay rate i exactly. guess you could say but no uh yeah check us out um and that's that's gonna do it for this edition of the all angels podcast follow us on instagram twitter halo underscore haven all angels podcast at gmail.com for any questions comments or concerns you have for the show that's gonna wrap it up i am johnny mags i'm down garcia and you listen to another edition of the all angels podcast
there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.